Broadcasting live from an increasingly convoluted knot of various IPs smashing into each other, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm your other host, Garrett Strother. And today we are talking about a movie that I never thought would be so exciting to talk about. We're talking Black Adam, the new DC film that came out just yesterday as of the day of recording. And I'm thrilled to get into it with you, man. I'm, I'm very excited. I gotta say, Seamus, I know that we were kind of having to hype ourselves up last week for this one, that we were <laughs> not looking forward to it. But, you know, I think that you and I have seen the light of Black Adam oh, a little bit. I honestly think we have, and, it, and, we're, and we're better for it. But we do have a decent chunk of news here to kind of jump into, including maybe some stuff that might tie into Black Adam in some capacity <laughs> or another eventually down the line eventually just looking forward you know you get you you get it you get how this show works but first up on the news we're talking about the new twister sequel twisters plural we're going the alien route here that is that is now in development and i am very confused (laughs) honestly i don't think i ever saw the original twister all the way through but I mean, does the Twister survive at the end? Is he coming back for revenge? Like, what? what's the deal here? Well, it's funny because, you know, they beat the Twister and then it falls out onto the lawn and everybody thinks we're good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they they look away for a second and they look back and the Twister's just gone. Oh, I remembered it as they throw like a like an oxygen tank into the mouth of the Twister and then they shoot it with a rifle. But I might be thinking of a different one. You know, maybe maybe that's uh, that's the offshoot that you're thinking <laughs> the of. Ger- uh, this- the, the Crispin Glover Twister. That oh has yeah, nothing to that, do with- of course that must be it. But uh, I d- I don't really understand what we're doing here. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, on the one hand. A reboot, this is one of the cases where a reboot makes way more sense to me than a sequel because any movie called Twister could just be about tornadoes, but they've explicitly said it's going to be Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton's daughter, and they're hoping to bring Helen Hunt back for the movie. And here's the thing, I'm like, Bill Paxton is dead. Philip Seymour Hoffman is dead. Those are the two best parts of that first movie. And and why so why are we doing yeah, this? Like, I just don't uh, get it. I don't I don't really either. I mean, I'm I I'll watch Twister for real with you maybe. Maybe we'll be jazzed about this new sequel, but I mean, at I this mean, I I saw it actually we- weirdly recently. I saw it in the last couple months but before they announced this. And it's good. It's not that I don't like Twister. It's that I don't understand what, why we're doing a sequel when we literally can't bring back so many of the characters that are memorable from the first one. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. I I will watch a trailer for Twisters, I guess. I'll I'll do what I can to, to maybe get more excited. But in terms of, like, 90s disaster movies, this isn't the one I'm, like, itching for more of, you know? That was uh, Independence Day resurgence. You got what you wanted. <laughs> oh God! I, I'm, I'm talking. Give me a volcano. Give me, give me old, old Tommy Lee Jones back and do another one. <laughs> He's so old. <laughs> He's like he'll move so slow, but it'll be great. I want another. Is that the one with Tia Leone, or is that Dante's Peak? I do not know. Wait, it was Dante. Dante's Peak was with Sarah Connor, right? 
And, oh, uh, is it is it Linda Hamilton? Right. It's Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan, I think. Okay, so then I think Tia Leone is in Volcano. I just I, the only people I remember from Volcano is are Tommy Lee and Don Cheadle is his man in the chair, which I I think he's great in that movie, and that's Don all I remember. Is great in most movies. I he think should he should be in. More he things. should be in more, and just like in Volcano, he should have a backwards Kengel hat that I also very much remember because it was the nineties. <laughs> We are getting too far off topic, but we will revisit <laughs> yes, yes. this because I think this is the, this is the the nugget of a good idea, maybe. But uh, speaking of the nugget of a bad idea, <laughs> uh, I I I don't know. I'm doing a Harrison Ford impression, but it's just making a face and waving my finger and not <laughs> yeah. saying anything because Harrison Ford has officially joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, replacing the late William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, he's going to be in the Captain America 4 New World Order. Mm. Presumably he will be appearing in Thunderbolts. But, like, I mean, you need an actor with gravitas, I think, especially considering the bigger role that this character is going to be playing going forward. But I cannot even begin to imagine how little Harrison Ford cares about right? any of this. Oh, my God, exactly. There is going to be... And I'm, I'm sure he's going to do a wonderful job. He's a he's a great actor, but he will he will probably put zero effort into steeping himself into the MCU as it stands. He's co- he's showing up on set cold. What I really want out of this is Harrison Ford via Rise of Skywalker where <laughs> he won't even comb his hair. <laughs> yeah. I I want them to have to CGI on Harrison Ford's mustache oh, like reverse cavalry, yes. you know. Oh man. It, I'm sure it will it will get to that kind of level and that'll that always charms me in these in these older Harrison Ford roles, you know. I I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. I don't care about Thunderbolt Ross. I don't care about the MCU moving forward. I wish I cared about Captain America for as much as I like Anthony Mackie, but yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean, man. I'm I'm all on the DC train now after last night. So I'm I. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe this will bring me a little farther back into what I want in the MCU. I mean, I I genuinely think about jumping back into Moon Knight every time I see the new Black Panther trailer. So the the farther they get into stuff that I maybe actually care about, I, I think something like Thunderbolts is interesting and weird enough that I, I might get more jazzed about it with Harrison Ford there. You know, I think that this is working for me in a different way, where I'm more interested to see it because I think it probably won't work very well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it very well couldn't. I want to see what that looks like. You know, I want to see Harrison Ford phoning in a major role <laughs> yes. in the MCU. <laughs> Well, you know, Seamus, I think that about... Wait. Did did you hear that? Did you feel that, Seamus? Do you feel... I think... Oh, I feel... Something's changing. My my trick knee is acting up. I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Warner warning! Oh, oh God, it's here! Warner warning! Oh, I thought we were going to be able to save this until the main segment, but I guess we were wrong because there is more (laughs) Warner Brothers Discovery news. Walter Hamada, famed, infamous DC Films executive, has officially left Warner Brothers Discovery. Hamada was one of the main focuses of Ray Fisher's whistleblowing of the mistreatment of people on Mm. on DC sets by Joss Whedon, and specifically Hamada was one of the executives that was singled out 
as a person that was trying to cover up and kind of snuff out the investigation that was ongoing to Warner Brothers and DC Films' general misdeeds. So while culturally this is probably a good shift, it does continue this entire takeover of Discovery executives Mm, forcing out Warner Brothers executives and that anything that's left of Warner Brothers seems to just be hollowed out. In this case, good thing. Walter Hamada should have been gone longer ago than he was. We saw Black Adam last night. There he was, like, executive In the credits, producer. yeah, exactly. And this is a good thing, even though it's a bad thing, if that makes any kind of sense. There's a silver lining in all of this Warner business, and it's that Walter Hamada is gone. Yeah, if anything, this gives me a little more hope for the future of... I mean, I don't know what Ray Fisher would have to get to come back and reprise his role as Cyborg, but at the very least, this means that there's more of a possibility with less of those executives who were very in the spotlight of his campaign to show a light on what was happening behind the scenes on those sets. At the, I mean, I like Ray Fisher. I liked Cyborg. I would like to see maybe a reprisal of that role. And if this leads to a little bit more of that in a way that we won't have to feel so disgusting seeing Walter Hamada's name and knowing that he very likely had a lot of misdeeds on set and around the production, I think that is ultimately a very good thing. Well, speaking of bringing people back that seem to have been alienated by the machine of Warner Brothers and DC Films, Henry Cavill has signed on to come back in a new Superman movie. I'm very curious about what on earth was said to him to make him enjoy the idea of coming back because he seems so done with being Superman. I don't know if they promised him like a more classic take on that character that's moving away from the Man of Steel Snyder stuff. I don't know if all of the pre-release Black Adam hype of Dwayne Johnson being like, well, you know, Black Adam and Superman, <laughs> they, they, they can't, there can't be one without the other, even though that relationship is more with Shazam. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I think that they're, they, as stupid as this sounds, and I don't like it, we will be talking about the future of the DC universe when we get into our main segment with Black Adam, and I think we'll probably have more insight as to where Superman could fit into the mm-hmm. future of DC then. But yeah, I mean, Henry Cavill is great. I think he's a movie star. Yeah, I mean, definitely. He, he literally is a movie star, but you know what I mean? I think he's got that movie star it factor. I love him in everything he's in except those stupid Superman movies where he's lifeless <laughs> and dull yes. because that take on that character is lifeless and dull. And I think that he can really bring something special to that role if he's given the opportunity. And I hope they find a really good, solid director to come in and do this. I think Marielle Heller is a really good choice if who did just did a beautiful day in the neighborhood mm, with mm. Tom Hanks who makes you know kindness and compassion so exciting like their own superpower I'd like to see her kind of tackle something like this but also I'd like to see her do movies that aren't you know superhero stuff so yeah I mean at the very least I've always thought that Henry Cavill has been I mean he's got the look he feels a lot like Superman when he's doing Superman stuff but like you said it gets so bogged down with how dreary those movies are and I hope that he kind of gets to redeem his version of this character before he actually does make his exit and maybe he'll get a little more of a spectacular exit than than what we've gotten from him in this franchise so far i completely agree and i think it i i guess that really is the end of our news segment so are we ready for the power hierarchy of the dc universe to potentially change depending on what we thought of black adam yes i think it's time garrett let's do it 
this week's main segment, we are going deep on the brand new DC film, Black Adam, just released, fresh, hot off the presses. We just saw it in IMAX last night together, and I we've kind of been bubbling alone and together with, with what we thought about this new installment of where DC is going right now. So what before we get into spoilers, because I know we have a lot to say specifically. We really do. Oh, we do, we do. What did you think, Garrett, non-spoiler-wise, about this movie? Seamus, I know when you and I came out of Black Adam like 20 hours ago, <laughs> we had a very enthusiastic reaction, and I'm very curious to see where both of us have kind of mellowed and landed to, because I really do, even with the benefit of a new day, believe that Black Adam was a great time. I agree. As crazy as that sounds, as many jokes as we have been making on this show and off of this show, it was a really good time, I agree. Now, and this is, I have a main thesis about this movie (laughs) that I can start to kind of lay out now and then we'll have to really build out in spoilers, spoilers. which is that the movie that The Rock thinks that this movie is, is not what it is, and that I only liked this movie because it is so far beyond what I expected it to be. And I don't mean that quality-wise. I mean that quantity-wise. Oh, that I, interesting. Okay. Black Adam, to me, and I, I this is the part where I think you and I might split, Black Adam is by far the least interesting part of this movie to me. Interesting. I don't, I don't completely disagree with you. I don't know if I would say the least interesting part, because I still very much enjoyed him, but far from the only very interesting thing that we have to focus on in this movie. Because to me, Black Adam in this felt directionless and without a real motivation, without real character, without any kind of humanity. It was just Dwayne Johnson being this cold brick. He wasn't self-aware Dwayne Johnson, and I'm glad we didn't get that. Oh, Even seriously. though that is more charming than this iteration, it's just like this hulking mass of a human being, but it's got the brain of a robot. It's just nothing. And I like that Black Adam is so, he's so out of context within the rest of this movie, which again, we'll get into spoilers about the fact that this movie is really like several different movies in one Mm, movie. mm. To me, it was a camp masterpiece. That's where I'm really coming at it from, is that I don't think it was actually good in the way that Dwayne Johnson thinks this movie is actually good, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think I I know what you're saying. There's a few, like, it's almost like um, Stallone being super over-serious about, like, the Rambo sequels that have nothing to do with the serious stuff beforehand. It's like he, there there's a certain level of respect that you can tell is in there, but it's like, as a viewer, we, we know we're watching... Black Adam, you know, we know we know what yeah. we're doing there for that. But I, I, I think I know what you're talking about here. And that is something that I will, of course, have to get a lot more into in spoilers to kind of break down what parts of this movie I thought were interesting and what was going on ultimately overall. Because I don't think Dwayne Johnson's performance is self-aware. I think that the movie, however, is definitely self-aware. Oh, yeah, definitely. And what did you think of the overall, like the rest of the cast without getting into too many spoilers? 
spoilers. Like, you know, we got Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Fate, Aldous Hodge, Hawkman. We we love Aldous Hodge here on this podcast. The Invisible Man, One Night oh, in yeah. Miami, you know. Yeah, I, I thought the, the wider cast was great. The non-hero cast that we have here, the, the mortal supporting characters are, are doing wonderfully. I, again, that's another angle of this that we're going to have to get a little farther into in spoilers. But altogether, like you were saying, it's the ensemble of so many different well-done characters in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting for Black Adam. Again, I, my expectations for this movie definitely shaped my enjoyment of everything. And in the end, you know, there was a lot of really good humor in the in the side characters. There was a lot of really good heart in, in like Pierce Brosnan and even... Hawkman, a character that I know very little about in general, I thought that performance was very well done as like the more leader role of of what's going down in in the the more superhero side of things. I I thought it was very enjoyable and again, even compared to the more stoic performances of Dwayne Johnson, I, I thought really well done all around. Yeah, I enjoyed these interpretations of these characters, but I don't, I, I don't really know if I were like a huge Hawkman fan or a huge Doctor Fate fan, who I'm sure mm. exists because I mean Hawkman was a pretty significant member of the Justice League, especially oh, yeah. when we were growing up. Definitely, because that that like Justice League lineup of obviously they had the big trio and Aquaman, but it was like Hawkman and Hawk Girl and the Martian Manhunter and mm. the Flash and you know like that was a very specific lineup that i think was really uber popular so if i were one of those super fans i don't feel like i would like these interpretations of these characters very much there's so much going on in this movie that as characters that have never appeared on the live action screen before in this universe that we have built out here i do agree that they got a little sidelined compared to what they could have done with a movie that's more focused on them as a team rather than like the they are the like side side characters when we're looking at like black adam and then the humans that are that are involved here however for me as a viewer without that super fan because i'm not i don't care about hawkeye or dr fate or whatever that worked way better for me the Mm. way that these characters were interpreted worked way better for me as this standalone film that's trying to tell its own story i think i'm mostly interested in this movie as being completely separate from any kind of cinematic universe i don't care about what happened before or during or frankly, very much, as we'll talk about in spoilers, even after that mm. much, and I know that you're going to disagree with me on that, I like this in a vacuum because it feels like a kind of weird microcosm for everything that's going on in Hollywood and trying to balance all of these different things that are going on, but not necessarily in a bad way. Like, it again, it feels self-aware, and I think that the biggest strength here in that regard and why I feel so strongly that way is because you don't have to see any other DC movies to see this movie. Very true. That it, it is like a starter DC movie at the tail end of this franchise right now, and it, it works so well in that vacuum. And that's why I, I don't necessarily disagree with you entirely. I think maybe the only other movie that I would recommend it would be Shazam, not yeah. even necessarily for the major narrative connections just for the idea of how the magic and the powers are working a little more and for the fact that Shazam itself seems to be more or less in that same kind of vacuum you can 
get caught up and it it would help you but if you just like kind of know what the justice league is or you kind of just are aware of what dc comic characters are out there then that's really all you need absolutely i enjoy shazam way more in a vacuum than i do in conjunction with anything else very similar to this mm. i don't enjoy Sh- shazam the same way i enjoy this i think they're very different experiences Most certainly, I agree with that. But I agree with you that it is similarly walled off despite the fact that so much of Shazam is predicated on the idea of like, you know who Batman is, you know who Superman is, isn't it cool that these characters are just normal characters in that world? Yeah. Which is fun. Well, without getting too much into spoilers, which I think we're about to break, something I like about this movie is that it's the inverse of Shazam, whereas technically it does seem like superheroes exist in this universe, like Batman and Superman and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there are like fleeting references to them. But overall, it seems like every character in this movie is on their own journey that doesn't necessarily relate to superhero-dom unless they are already a superhero. Yeah, yeah, that is that is very true. And I mean, there's a lot of themes about, like, becoming a hero or being a hero or a champion that, you know, they get into with the lesser-powered characters, of course. But, you know, I agree. It's, it's not about, like, gaining those heroic powers like we see in, in other things, in other origin things like Shazam. But I think in order to really dig into this movie and why we enjoyed it and what we liked about it and didn't like about it, we really have to go spoilers. I think we really should. I think this is the official threshold right here. So part two of my thesis, Seamus, is that the movie, let me break down the movies that I think are in this movie. Because obviously, number one, the title is Black Adam. And this is a Black Adam movie. But if you really break down what Black Adam's story is in this movie, it doesn't make very much sense because... Black Adam is introduced at the very beginning like he's a supernatural villain from a horror film or an adventure film. (laughs) Yes. Then, for most of the second act, he does become the main character doing something resembling a more typical superhero story. And then he is literally taken out of the equation for the majority of the third act before being brought in at the last second. So not only being brought in at the last second, but like kind of undoing a lot of that Black Adam work they did towards the end of the second act, too. So very confusing stuff there. So that's one of the movies. Then there's an Indiana Jones-esque archaeological adventure. <laughs> yes. There is a parody of an Avengers movie. And I really mean that as a parody. And I want to get into that about the JSA characters because I think they are more parodies than they are actual versions of those characters. And then there's a weird young adult superhero romance movie going on (laughs) yeah i know in a way that i didn't care a lot about but it still was you know it was making me laugh a little bit terminator 2 judgment day very prominent terminator 2 judgment day and finally somewhere buried in all of that is a Zack snyder dc eu style (laughs) superhero movie but that is a decidedly different tone from Black Adam, and from the Avengers parody. Yeah, a lot going on here all at once. They do jump around pretty pretty frequently uh, throughout all of that. There's a lot of, the, you know, they obviously cross over a lot of these streams, but they break off into their own little sections pretty frequently. And that's what was so surprising to me about this movie, and that's why I said to you last night, 
I really am sticking by the fact that this is the first superhero ensemble film. And what I mean by that is it's not a team-up movie. It's a movie where you introduce all of these new characters as an ensemble cast, some superhero, some mm. not, and bring them together. Not necessarily even against a common threat for most of the runtime, but just putting them together and, like, action figures from different <laughs> lines yeah. that you have making them talk to each other. And it's, again, it's like this idea of smashing movies together, of just like, what if Terminator 2 was also a superhero movie? And if you break down what Terminator 2 is, it's about taking a horror character, and part of the joke is that you're putting him in an action movie where he's in a buddy action movie. Like a buddy cop, yes, like yes. kid and his dog kid and his father however you want to make that analogy work so there's even like a hat on a hat within the terminator 2 comparison where again black adam starts this movie seeming more like a scary threat a horror film even though it's not scary like the way a horror film is scary but then becomes this like little friend of this boy this like 12 year old boy <laughs> the the omnipresent protector he cares about nothing in the world but then the boy makes him feel a little bit uh, in his in his heart and at the same time, like the fish out of water, Terminator 2, teaching him how to live in modern society and interact with a world that has, you know, gone far past what they would ever recognize as their reality. It's, it's, there's a lot crammed in there. Trying to give him a catchphrase, hasta la vista, baby, uh, telling the man in black sent you. <laughs> that was a very funny running gag. I thought that was going to annoy me a little bit. Like, this man is melting people's jaws off and turning them into skeletons and, like, shattering their bodies. And this boy is trying to make him a little goofier. But it, it really did work for me by the end. They, do, they don't overdo the Man in Black stuff. The stuff that should annoy me in this movie just worked for me for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. I, it was funny, this, the, the running gags that they built up, because I really thought that Hawkman constantly scolding Adam Smasher <laughs> was really funny. We had yes. a really good crowd, too, that really laughed at that stuff yeah yeah that, those interactions were really getting people laughing and the atom smasher snacking gag where he, he's just like yeah it's it's a lot of energy i gotta eat all the snacks i can get my hands on and that reminded me a lot of there's a scene in world war z where the joke is the product placement like you see brad pitt like a pepsi commercial walk up to a vending machine and then <laughs> like drink a big old can of pepsi and that's the same tone as this to me where it's like oh yeah isn't it funny that lays is in our movie <laughs> casually eating baked lays over like the electronics uh, while they're making a plan it, it was good but i do want to talk about the Justice Society, because especially Atom Smasher, but all of them really felt like parodies of other characters to me. Hawkman felt like a parody of Captain America. Mm -hmm. Doctor Fate felt like a parody of Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Yeah, Atom Smasher felt like a parody of Ant Man. Up to them having like a bizarre cameo for Henry Winkler yeah. on a FaceTime call in one scene where they're like, "Oh, his uncle was the original Adam, <laughs> but now Adam is the nephew because of reasons." And it just felt like who's kind of like Michael Douglas that we yeah, can get exactly. to be this character. So. Not only do they feel like parodies of these characters, but they feel like parodies of the MCU versions of these characters. Yeah, it, it's it's very bizarre, but it 
again, it worked really well. And even like the the wind girl who I probably cared the least about, you know, was interesting and funny and, and the character was doing enough in there where even though it was like a, it was more of like a storm parody, I guess, it, it worked in a weirdly unique way for that character that I've never heard of before, whose name I obviously already forgot. She's like, ah. Uh, Gusty. Uh, yeah. What is what is her name? No, hold on. Let me pull it up because it is something. Because it, it's that's the only one of the Justice Society that I know familiar with from a comics perspective coming in. Cyclone. 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 Gusty. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't really care about anything that was going on with them. It's not like I was invested in them the way that I am invested in some superhero movies. It was just that they were like, what if the Avengers were also in this? It was kind of the vibe. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. They were more of a vehicle, in in my viewing experience, for the analogies for, like, Western intervention in the Middle East and, like, the sense of respect they think they deserve from these people who are obviously kind of being... I mean, they're, they have a battle in their town square and there's a ton of collateral damage where they're playing it off like, oh, sorry, was that expensive or whatever? And they, they yeah. don't care or whatever. It, 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 was a, it was very interesting to use them like that while then and- still going forward later and, and making me care a little bit more about the Justice Society... Again, having never heard of them before. I like the idea that the superheroes in this movie are political. That is super interesting to me. And not something we see in really anything else. Because they try to claim in something like Civil War that that's a political thing. Or like Winter Soldier is often talked about as some kind of political thriller. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, there is a very distinct bad guy in those movies that's manipulating the characters to make you think that it's political. Whereas in this movie, the Justice Society is transparently promoting the viewpoints, ideologies, and policies of a country, of the United yeah, States. Yes. And they are in international countries disrespecting any kind of autonomy that those cultures or governments have, ignoring the oppression under a violent regime of those people because it's like none of their business. And it's such a simultaneously obvious and ham-fisted allegory, but also (laughs) the fact that it feels like parody, the fact that it is so self-aware, turns it into a comedy. Because ultimately, my big thesis with all of these movies is that Black Adam is a straight comedy. It's not a superhero movie, it's not an action movie, it is a spoof. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. It's everything that we know at this point about the DC universe, about comic universes in general, Marvel, all of that stuff, and laying it out very well. I mean, there, we should talk about the strange structure of how they get farther into this kind of flip-flopping around different stuff towards the end, but I don't know. You're right. It's a comedy. It's a parody, but it's done in a way that it's, it's you know, it's not a Deadpool or whatever. I'm not rolling my no. eyes out of my damn head. It's like I was still so engaged with everything that was happening at the same time. Because the characters don't know they're in a parody. Yes, That's exactly. That's the real trick, is that the movie knows it's a parody, but like Dwayne Johnson thinks he is making <laughs> a Superman movie or or not even a Superman movie. He thinks he's just making this hyper serious like wrestle like his whole wrestling approach to 
storytelling and who's the strongest and the best. That is what movie he thinks he's in. Yes, exactly. I'm not saying that all of the actors think that's the movie they're in, but they very much play it like that's the movie they think they're in. Where if all of these characters were super self-aware and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, then it wouldn't be funny. This is a two-hour version of, like, the one-minute clips of the the fake movies in The Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it really does feel like that. Bad humor, weird, like, sketched characters, because they're not, they have no depth. They have no arcs, for the most part. They're just kind of there to be the heroes. And they have these funny, quippy interactions, but they're never actually completely self-aware to camera. And that's the thing that really sets it out from the quippy nature of most Marvel things, where it's just like, look at what fun we're having, you know? And this is like, no, this is serious, but also we're going to have jokes. Yeah, and that that fully lends itself to Dwayne Johnson's very deadpan. Like, everything Dwayne Johnson says in this movie is a joke. At literally every line that is said to him by a, a different character, he responds with in a very funny deadpan way. And is that better played because Dwayne Johnson thinks he's like killing it with the one-liners that are supposed to be like thought on or whatever or whatever it is it works really well because when they eventually do kind of give a little more heart to that character when we get a little more of the background about him and his son and his family and how he actually gets his birth you don't care it doesn't make sense the plot twist is boring (laughs) and convoluted I mean but that's part of the charm is that it's like it expects us to care you they show the silhouette of Dwayne Johnson's super distinct, bald, big head on his tiny Steve Rogers <laughs> body voice. in the beginning. Yes, exactly. They like want us to not notice that it's just Dwayne Johnson speaking in a slightly softer voice. And I mean, I saw that from the very beginning when they did the flashback. You, you, we looked at each other. And we're like, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Dwayne Johnson, right? Like- <laughs> oh God, yeah, we did. And all that. I also forgot of the stupid twist of the Ishmael being the crazy king's long lost descendant. Like, who cares? Just make him a guy from that country who wants to follow in the footsteps or whatever. It doesn't. I don't necessarily need him to be the ancient descendant of this guy. The ancient. I mean, that's uh, something that some adventure movies again he's part of the indiana jones adventure part of this movie where sometimes they lean into that in certain adventure movies where they're like my great great grandfather he was the one who originally discovered the (laughs) the eye of Taurus and i am going to wield its power you know but to make him like not only the long lost descendant of this king but like he's suddenly now the legacy nemesis of black adam Yeah, that was was weird. It was really weird. And there was that whole weird part that I didn't entirely understand until I went and read back through the synopsis that he wanted Black Adam to kill him while he was wearing the crown so that he could be reborn as that weird PS2 cutscene demon. (laughs) I mean, once they once they were laying out the whole death is the pathway to life, which I guess is like minutes from when he resurrects or whatever. I was like, all right, I guess that makes sense. The, they, they should have played more into the mirrors thing. They do like a mirror thing with Black Adam at the very yeah. beginning. And then they're like, oh, mirror, mirror the text like way later. They, they should have at least sprinkled in a few more breadcrumbs if that's what they were going for. Because the script to this movie is not good. It's entirely <laughs> about the execution. The actual structure of this movie is a mess. It makes no sense. It has no protagonist. Um, yeah, yeah. The way that the characters interact feels weird and stilted 
And again, I want to circle back to the fact that Black Adam is taken out of most of the third act of this movie, and all of a sudden, the Justice Society, that for most of this movie has been, you know, a secondary antagonist or an annoyance or kind of comic relief, they become the leads of the movie at the very end. I really thought they weren't. For a good minute, I thought Black Adam was just gone. I thought he was done in the movie. I did too. I thought it was the end of the movie. I thought it was like... I thought they were going to roll credits with a teaser for the next one while he's in super prison. Because the villain was dead. Black Adam was in his... Like, he, he was so, you know... So captured by the damage that he caused that he yes. surrendered to the JSA. The JSA were going off and doing like, well, guys, another one well done. And <laughs> if Amanda Waller ever needs to break him out like Austin Powers or Demolition Man, she can do that. And I was like, OK, so I guess this is the end of the movie. Yeah, I thought the tease was going to be the guy's body igniting and, like, Black Adam's eyes opening in that, like, back-to-tank chamber, and that was going to be the roll credits moment. But I I guess that would have been more unsatisfying than anything else, but it it was just weird that they then take so much time to get him back out of that that Project X prison. Weirdly, it would have been less satisfying. It would have technically probably been better writing. Oh, no doubt, because we were, me and you, we were... Me, you, and Fritz were all sitting there like, all right, here we go. We're rolling up. That was, that was you know, a good, a fun time. We were, were ready expecting those credits to roll. Ironically, though, I would not have liked this movie as much if they didn't do the bad writing thing and tack on that extra fourth act, as you've been calling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, again, I liked this... it. I liked the fourth act as it as it is. There's like a zombie uprising that we get a little that dabble so of. crazy. See, that, I need to include that in my list of things that this movie is. That there's <laughs> another movie, movie in this movie. It's like a Jason and the Argonauts movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, well, it I guess was... that goes along with the mummy-esque adventure that it is. True. That, true. that kind of fits into the Indiana Jones category, technically. But Sure. And, and it gives that extra highlight to the electrician uncle who is an absolute boss in this movie. Love him. Oh. Yeah, he's hilarious. We've got so many. It's like they Googled, what are the songs most used in movies? <laughs> yes! And then oh just my God. put them in a playlist. Like, the Baby Come Back song gag where he's listening in the car and you're like, what's the funniest song that he could be listening to? Obviously, Baby Come Back. And it's like, what's the most badass song that Black Adam could kill a bunch of soldiers to? Obviously, Paint It Black. Oh you know, my it's God. just, what's it, what would be funny to have Black Adam you know, play over a standoff in the middle of the town square. Obviously, the trio by Ennio Morricone <laughs> from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, you did notice that he, his uh, lightning in that he was using finger guns, right? I, of course, of, of course. course. How could okay. I not? He, okay, just making sure. It's all about the tone. This movie is entirely about the tone, even though I do think that a lot of the action is competently directed more than like something like a Snyder movie where I can't really see oh, yeah. what's going on because everything's gray and kind of CGI bricky, and this is a very clear, especially that first scene where Black Adam like breaks out of the mountain and kills oh, all the guys. Oh, just massacres all the mercenaries. It, it, fantastic. It, it's like, I was thinking the whole time, it's like if the Man of Steel 
action sequences were better, you know? Like, because I don't hate the Man of Steel action sequences, but it's like, if they were done actually well, you know? But also, it pretty frequently devolves into what I in my brain have been calling the Mad Max Fury Road Sandstorm sequence. Oh, oh. Where they're like, what if there was just a ton of slow-mo? Oh, the slow-mo in this is insane, by the way. Every every sequence is (laughs) slow-mo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's just tons of twirling clouds and dust and smoke and wind and storm and lightning and the actor's beautiful faces composited right in the middle of the frame (laughs) and that's the only thing that you can make out that makes any sense so this movie's action sequences often devolve into essentially abstract imagery that is still pretty much easier to follow than 90 percent of contemporary action cinema but it's just again a bizarre formal tonal choice that keeps this movie so over the top with these Mm. huge explosions and Black Adam entering the speed force. Oh my god, yeah. All of this crazy stuff that, again, it just is able to expand so much that it becomes parody. It becomes funny beyond how not good the story is or the characters are or even, you know, the fact that the action is competently done is surprising but helps this movie overall for obvious reasons. Oh, absolutely. I th- I think it's... I, I always try to put the entertainment factor above everything that I can in the movie. Obviously, there's sometimes that that just can't possibly trump the problems that a movie has, but... The entertainment factor for this movie, regardless of all of the other messy parts of it, is like at 100%. It is pure entertainment. You know that recently I've very much tried to start viewing, especially this is something I think I developed over the course of my college career, was willing myself to not look at films as stories, but that each film is its own experience, Mm. that it's something that you're just supposed to let impact you. And sometimes that is that the story is telling you it wants you to engage with the characters and the themes and all of that stuff. But I think especially that we went to such an experimental film program that I've really become taken with movies that tell you those things aren't important. Mm. And let's just kind of lay out this bizarre experience for you. And Black Adam is able to do that in a way that most films that choose to focus on that are not at this level. You know, so Mm -hmm. there are plenty of superhero movies that decide, like, you know, the plot doesn't matter, you're just here for the action anyway, but then the action isn't that good, and then you're just, and they don't really know how to tell you to focus on the other things, so you are just focusing on how bad the plot and the characters and the writing are. Yeah, and it just, it distracts you to the point where Again, that it does the fun of things gets depleted and you get distracted and it, it becomes more about like how the movie could have been better rather than trying to just kind of experience it as a whole and try to get as much entertainment and enjoyment out of it as possible. But this again, this movie it like transcends that. Because when the only thing that's promised and the only thing that's promoted really is Dwayne Johnson thinks that he's the coolest man in the DC (laughs) universe, and then you show up and you get all of this other stuff that wasn't marketed at all. Again, if this movie had been marketed differently, I also think I wouldn't have liked it as much. Oh, 100%. My entire knowledge of this movie going into it was this stupid, the insane stupid frequency of that phrase about DC hierarchy. And I was just like, you know what? Prove it. And that's all I went in with, and that and that was it, it was perfect. And I will say to take to take 
this movie at Dwayne Johnson's face value. It does a pretty good job of showing me how powerful Black Adam is. That the action sequences really are compelling enough, and it it feels so difficult for anyone in any one of the Avengers to take him down. <laughs> and that, especially those scenes where he's just levitating, and there's just a, a ball of lightning yes. around him, and it's eviscerating everything in his vicinity, and you're like, oh wow, that's like, you know, Superman might have a tough time with that. I could actually see that, theoretically. And that's the movie that Dwayne Johnson thought this whole movie was going to be. <laughs> yeah. But you can't make a movie that's two hours of just going like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, so tell me, Seamus, Superman shows up in the post credit scene of this movie. Not, it okay, is- not, not Shazam style. He straight up is there, which was the craziest thing of all time. Henry Cavill, fresh off of his announcement that, he's, that he is doing more work with the DC, he shows up to kind of maybe set up a face-off with Black Adam. I have a hot take, Seamus. What do you got? I read this morning that originally Henry Cavill had not yet agreed to come back when they shot that scene. Oh, really? And so, you know, for a split second before Superman comes out of the smoke and all you see is the, the like, suit and his face is still in shadow. The silhouette. Apparently that was going to be the whole scene if Henry Cavill had not agreed to come back. Wow. And and God, I wish it were. Because really? that would be the perfect cherry on the top of this almost entirely isolated, <laughs> bizarre camp misfire of a film. Because again, that is playing into the movie that The Rock thinks this is. I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to I don't want to see Black Adam fight Superman. I don't care about Black Adam. Black Adam is not interesting to me. This movie and the kind of style it has is interesting to me. That being said, it is insane that Superman is in this <laughs> Wait, I I am going to disagree with you and say that I am really wanting to see Black Adam fight Superman. I, I would love to see how that showdown would go down because I'm not sure that Superman would be able to take him on. If I'm being honest, I know that I I don't know if you agree with that, but if Black Adam is going to be as stubborn as he was with the Justice Society, I don't know if they're going to be buddy buddy on the other side of that conversation. And I think after watch, I mean, I know you didn't watch BVS all the way through, but like he has trouble with Batman. Why would he have less trouble with Black Adam? He's so powerful. And that's what I'm going to say about it, is that I think the Man of Steel-verse, the Snyder-verse, has done a really bad job at showcasing how powerful Superman can be. Based on the older films, based on the comics, based on the cartoons, Superman is always way more powerful than the way he's portrayed in the Man of Steel movies. And I think that was a very deliberate choice in Man of Steel that became progressively sillier as these movies expanded, inflated in scale. And they tried to build out the Justice League and they tried to build out, like, Martian Manhunter, why is he in this universe? (laughs) That doesn't match up with the tone of Man of Steel was originally supposed to be in the Dark Knight universe. Like, think about how grounded Man of Steel is compared to where we are now. And Cavill's a great Superman, and I want to see him, like I said in the news segment, become that fully realized version of Superman. But I do agree with you that Black Adam does a way better job at establishing how powerful Black Adam is in a really cool, visceral way that Superman just has not gotten that treatment in the last 20 years. 
Well, I mean, maybe that is the... This is finally our way of kind of getting to that prime Superman, you know? He's never, in my opinion, had an enemy to fight in these movies so powerful that he... Like, I guess he gets his ass kicked all the time by the, the, the enemies yeah, he but has. Again, but like because they're bad at telling the story. It's not because it actually is a villain I, or yeah, a adversary exactly. that is powerful enough to best him. But now we have him with Black Adam in a way where if they write it correctly, they could show the power finally, the fruition of all of these movies where he's kind of lame. And if he can... I mean, I'm not expecting him to, like, kill Black Adam or Black Adam to kill him or whatever in this fight they're going to have at some point. But it would be able to kind of show us that might that we've been missing with all of these movies. A little bit more prime Superman in a way that, you know, maybe Black Adam will never be as ingrained in the Justice League or the the good guy's side as I kind of expected him to start turning towards at the end of this movie. I think if we want to talk about it on its own terms with the with the cinematic universe lingo, I think this movie's building to a JSA versus Justice League movie. I think that that's what that would be cool. the trajectory of this is, that Black Adam and Hawkman and whoever else they want to get from that team go up against Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash... Aquaman, where where does the Shazam peeps fall on that? Do, do they help, do they want to help Black Adam because he's that's their like weird power cousin? That's something I don't like about this movie is that, and the way this movie's been marketed is that the movie that it was supposed to be versus the movie that Dwayne Johnson wants it to be are different because Dwayne Johnson wants to fight Superman because he wants to be the mm. best and the biggest. Whereas this movie was incepted to be the setup to fighting Shazam because that's how it exists in the comics. Not to say that it has to exist that way but that's what makes sense that's in this universe that's what makes sense and we're just skipping that because Dwayne Johnson wants to fight Superman and that's why I think it would have been so funny if after all of the posturing and the machismo of Dwayne Johnson being like he's the biggest and the baddest guy (laughs) in the whole universe and then you get to the post credit scene and Superman shows up and they don't even show his face. And so basically it's the exact same ending, ending as, Shazam. as Shazam. Yes. After I- all of that, <laughs> after all of that buildup, it's just a worse version of that scene from Shazam. That would have been a perfect movie. It would have been the perfect movie, Seamus. Uh, I don't know, man. I was so floored with Cavill being there. Maybe it was just my shock getting my excitement up, but it would have been very funny to to have that exact same, because that's what I was expecting. I, like, looked over at Fritz next to me, and I was about to say, like, oh, they're they're just going to show the S or whatever, and then before I could even get the thought out, Cavill was on screen. And as a person who wants to see Henry Cavill come back, I am excited about Henry Cavill being back. I really am. And all I'm asking you to do, I'm not asking you to change your opinion. You you and I disagree plenty on this show. <laughs> but I want you to think about, are you, ex- are you excited that Henry Cavill showed up in this movie? Are you excited that Henry Cavill's back as Superman? The second one, honestly. it's that I took that end credit scene as that powerhouse official announcement more or less that's probably why i was so taken aback i because i i you know you'd heard the rumors or whatever and that there's obviously the official announcement now but at the time i was like they're not gonna pull the trigger on this and then it just hit me in the face so swiftly that i i I don't know it painted that moment in such a fun light to me well i do understand that 
completely. And I think that that's the scene in this movie that I understand the most as a cinematic universe film. And that's the one that I definitely enjoyed the most as a cinematic universe film. But then if I take that scene on its own merit, then I'm unable to kind of enjoy the rest of the movie the same way. Mm. I just, for me personally, as a viewer, I don't think I can reconcile those two things. And maybe that's immaturity on my part. Um, And again, I'm not saying that you and I shouldn't disagree on that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of of course. Like you said, we disagree plenty. And I'm sure my opinions will evolve after one single day of thinking about this movie probably you know I, I i need more time to process it i'm probably gonna see it again and that is gonna be a wildly different experience to take away that surprise that everything that happens i'll, I'll be able to kind of sink more into the movie itself probably i think you and i should regroup on black adam sometime i really think yes, that yes this is a film Ironically, somehow, that we will continue to revisit and recontextualize and think about as some kind of piece of meta-narrative about the state of superhero movies right now and the state of action movies right now, and I can't believe that I think the Black Adam's <laughs> kind of art. I can't. It's, I know. It's, it's a cult classic, I think, in the making. I think so, dude. I really... I was I was so ready for this to be a Morbius situation, and it's so much more than that, and it makes me really happy. Well, we're going to shift gears a lot going to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the breakdown of Black Adam's actual origins, and I almost think that that's kind of a fitting place for him to start versus where he ends, because it's kind of the summation of the whole trajectory of Mm. this movie, I think, and let's get into our pop culture reference where we can talk about Captain Marvel and Shazam and Black Adam and how all of that ties together for us, I think. Yeah, let's do it. Today's pop culture reference is the history of Captain Marvel and or Shazam, depending on your legal preferences. In 1939, just after the dawn of superhero comics, Fawcett Comics debuted a new superhero, a 12-year-old boy named Billy Batson who could turn into a strong, flying adult superhero just by saying the word Shazam. The superhero was named Captain Marvel, and went on to become one of the best-selling comics of the era. After settling lawsuit with National Comics over the similarities between Captain Marvel and Superman, Fawcett Comics ceased publishing all Captain Marvel and other superhero comics in 1953. In 1967, Marvel Comics trademarked the name Captain Marvel for their own original character, and the absence of the original Captain Marvel from Fawcett allowed them to hold that copyright through the future of DC Comics publications. In the 1970s, DC, having changed their name from National Comics, decided to license the characters from Fawcett's Captain Marvel, including Black Adam, who only appeared in one issue of the Fawcett comics, for their own publication. However, due to Marvel's trademark, DC published the stories under a new title, Shazam, which slowly became the name that people linked with the character. The series saw a great deal of popularity, and eventually DC bought Shazam and its associated characters outright. The earliest issues of Shazam published after the DC character acquisition are titled Shazam, the original Captain Marvel. One of the last direct references to the original Captain Marvel title in comics was in Teen Titans Academy number 11, where Billy Batson is cut off mid-word bubble before he can finish saying his initial superhero name, implying the universal canon of the name while poking fun at the long-standing controversy. In 2019, the MCU's Captain Marvel and DC's Shazam 
came out in theaters mere months apart, and the latter featured a running gag where the two main characters struggle to find a fitting name for the new hero. Something that I discovered while we were researching this pop culture reference, Seamus, is the fact that Black Adam, when he was acquired by DC, was a one-off issue character that was only in the first comic Shazam appeared in back in 1939, and then DC was able to milk all of this insane lore and huge storylines out of that one issue character and I think given a large part of our conversation that we just had about Black Adam that's a really fitting origin for that character (laughs) to be featured in film that so wholly has commentary on the state of superheroes in the DC universe as a whole I think that's really funny the kind of innocuous beginnings of that character yeah that that is very interesting I will say that that one-off character that that is something that I will definitely think about as they stretch more and more lore from the you know the comics that came after into these eventual sequels to Black Adam. And honestly, I really like the gags in Shazam about about the name stuff. And I would I would like to see maybe an outright gag, kind of like in Teen Titans Academy, where th- where they do something like that. But that might be overstepping the bounds in a live action movie. Yeah, I completely I completely get what you're saying there. Yeah, that might lead to more lawsuits. But I mean, yeah. it would be funny. It would be really funny. But should we move on to Star Noirs, Seamus? Oh, yes, please. Let's do it. Now it's time for Star Noirs, our weekly breakdown of the Andor series on Disney+. This week, we are covering Episode 7, The Announcement. And man, oh boy, we got another banger this week, I think. I think this is somehow my favorite episode of the show, and that's kind of insane given how satisfying last week was and how many twists and turns it had. But but for this episode, which was mostly just people talking in rooms, pretty impressive feat. I mean, this is definitely the best written episode of this show and really showcasing how much better this is than any Disney Plus Uh, television content that's come out, Star Wars or not. Every week that gets more solidified basically and you're not wrong this was basically all talking you know we, we got I, I didn't know that the aftermath the the more conversational aftermath of the Alderi heist from last week was going to be as insanely engaging as the the heist itself from from the last episode I, I was really liking all of it and a lot of our predictions as you were telling me they came true a lot of what we were thinking that the direction it was going in is exactly where we ended up this week which obviously we'll get a little bit more into in spoilers when we could do that but I do think it's interesting to showcase just like how smartly deployed the directors are for these episodes obviously Tony Gilroy is the showrunner here he's writing most of the episodes if not all of the episodes but last year Susanna White who's a veteran television and film director and has worked on a lot of action war oriented series but not ones that that in any way glorify violence or war Mm -hmm. and how that really shines through in the way she directed last episode, as opposed to when you come into this episode, which is directed by a guy named Benjamin Karen, and his previous work is a lot more on things like The Crown and Sherlock, which are all talky and intrigue and higher class Mm -hmm. people sitting in rooms and being snarky to each other, you know? Yeah, there was a lot of of good moments of that in this episode, that's for sure. I I really appreciated that. I, I don't think a single and I might be misremembering I don't think a single person dies in this episode or like I don't think there are any fights really like actual battles or 
anything. It's very grounded compared to what we have been building up up until episode six, that mid-season episode we just got. I completely agree with you, and I really don't think we can get any further into this episode without marking spoilers, because despite the fact that really there's not a lot of action-oriented storytelling going on in this episode, a lot does happen, and the scale of the trajectory of the galaxy and the players in it have changed a lot over the course of this episode as everybody kind of repositions in the aftermath of the Aldani heist. Yeah, I would I would love to... Are, are we spoilered in? Are we spoilered in now? Let's, let's lock it in. Spoilers oh. for Andor Episode 7. The stuff with his mom was absolutely harrowing and absolutely heartbreaking to watch. I kind of had a feeling that's where it was going, and we were talking about, like, the inspirations that were coming to his home planet after, you know, his participation in the heist and how that was gonna manifest more in the revolution of these workers, but man, was it heartbreaking to see him plead with his mother to come with him and escape, and her just fully locking into the idea of rebellion at the you know, directly from the actions of her son, which I, I thought was also really sad and touching that he just never explained that he was just trying to rob a place. He didn't want to spark anything that he wouldn't be able to get out of, and now he's he's just caught up in it all, and it's so, so good. It really is simultaneously something that you and I had already talked about potentially being part of it, but so much more emotionally impactful and engaging than what I imagined that conversation to be like. And just the stark reality of because things have changed, you must go and I cannot go with you and we will never see each other again. That is the emotional crux of that scene. And what makes it so much more powerful than just like, I didn't mean to, you know, accidentally spark a rebellion, ma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my God. And, And the subsequent beach bum sequence where he's like living on whatever beach planet and trying to drown his depression for what he's created in the universe with alcohol and women. And they have a a lovely conversation about star Wars drugs with his lady companion that I thought was funny. I mean, again, drugs and sex never been more prominent in star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's refreshing to see the weird, dirty life of Andor in that way. He's not just doing, he's not doing the rebel spy thing yet. He's just trying to live his life post heist. And I don't know the, his fate at the end of this episode and how he ultimately kicks himself in the ass with, with everything that went down in his participation with the, the insurgency and the heist and him just running away into the universe that he has now absolutely helped taint with full force imperial occupation everywhere. It is great. It's just one more awesome dark step closer to him realizing that his life can't be running from, you know, the fight that he so clearly belongs in. I also love his scene with Bix in this episode who oh, yes. I have been expecting for the entirety of the show to come back and just be the love interest and you know that they're gonna squabble and have their little spats but ultimately like they're gonna join the rebellion together and it's gonna be great and they're gonna kiss and then she's gonna die tragically and they're gonna be like no (laughs) that's exactly what's gonna happen maybe maybe but that's the thing it's not to say that that's not going to happen but 
Honestly, I love the incredibly adult idea of these two people who once meant something to each other, who have impacted each other's lives in, you know, incalculable ways that are just going to kind of hostily, if mutually, part ways for seemingly the rest of their lives. Now, that's not to say that Bix isn't going to come back in some capacity later this season or even next season, but if this is the end of Andor and Bix, I think it's a really jarringly adult way for Star Wars to resolve that relationship. In my mind, I feel like it's going to be more about Bix and Cassian's mom in in their planetary rebellion in within their own community. That's probably going to gain her the perspective that will help her understand Cassian a lot more, but I really hope that it's not going to just turn around and be like, I, I get you now, Cassian, let's run away to the rebellion together. I would thoroughly enjoy it a lot more if it was more of like a personal realization on Bix's character side and not necessarily a bridge for her and Cassian to just get together again in the end. Not to pit Star Wars things against each other, but I think that really showcases how underwritten the relationship between Han and Kira in mm. Solo is, in that that movie is supposed to be this, like, film noir take on Star Wars, especially that relationship. Totally. But it f it lacks any kind of adult complication that this relationship, being kind of a similar one, you know, these troubled kids who grew up together, being criminals because that was the only way that, that they mm. could kind of revolt, and then separating from each other. This feels so much more noir, the exact kind of feeling that Solo was supposed to be channeling. I was surprised how long it took us to get to Cassian in this episode, and I was almost thinking that you were going to be right in your prediction that we were going to get an entirely ISB episode, which is almost what we got. You were shockingly close to we being We got a lot. We got that. a lot more than we have, and I loved every second of it. I love watching those ISB agents go at each other's throats. You Lauren shows up in this, which really surprised me. I think it's actually so much more impactful, these, like, little cameos that we're getting from characters because I'm not expecting cameos in the show and when the characters show up it actually makes sense for them to show up mm, not that you Lauren is some kind of crazy famous Star Wars guy. It's not Luke Skywalker, you know, but it's still like, oh, wow, they're like putting people from other things in this. Like he's a big part of Clone Wars and he's on yeah. Rebels and he's in he's in the Death Star board meeting in the in episode four, you know? Yeah, I, I really appreciated that, too. It's all, all very good little connections that that grow this lore to feel not so forced and I, I really appreciate that and the way that the isb's reaction to the aldani attack as they're kind of framing it of intense escalation and the co-opting the commandeering of the imperial military forces mm. directly lines up with things that we've already seen in other Star Wars media, so that, you know, Agent Callus in Star Wars Rebels, who is a ISP agent, is ordering around Stormtroopers and TIE Fighters and Star Destroyers, which are part of the Imperial Navy. And that completely lines up with what we're seeing here, where it's an escalation, kind of like how Palpatine uses the Clone Wars mm. to grab power. You know, the ISP uses the ladder of the chaos of rebellion 
to take over the power from those other parts of the empire. Yeah, it's 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 very cool and very intimidating to see that kind of stuff play out in that way. And then at the same time seeing like the scene between Luthen and Mon Mothma in his shop again of like there's no turning back. We couldn't wait any longer. It's good that the emperor is like cracking down cuz that means that this is the catalyst that's going to bring all of the unsure people onto our side. I thought that was it's it's awesome to see both sides of that little shadow war that they're both waging on each other that they barely either side barely even knows about the real intentions of the other and it's it's so perfect for this espionage storyline to keep that intense level of secrecy throughout all of these different branches or, or even at the party with uh Mon Mothma and her boy and that intense secrecy the whispering him her telling him to keep smiling as they're waltzing through this imperial party talking about the the designs that she has to topple the the empire it's it's fantastic i also loved seeing in the empire's side the isb side how that larger scale power grabbing and backstabbing that is going on between the different components of the Empire is also happening on a smaller scale with our different little ISB Yes, yes. People, like our little operators, our lieutenants. And that's a really cool thing to see the Empire re- rewarding that bad behavior because that's what keeps people submissive and in chaos and unable to, you know, just like the Sith, like to keep yes, their exactly. apprentices kind of at bay and on their feet it all trickles down through the evilness of the empire oh man it's uh i want more isb again it's just it's getting so spicy in that little circle table that they that they got working in there the 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 personal rivalries are just absolutely firing on all cylinders that's gonna crumble so much isb work i can't wait also, well, uh, just to quickly, just to quickly shout out, we f- we get a little more soul crushing office work Cyril in this episode. That's what I was about to bring up. Yeah. I was so happy <laughs> oh, to yeah. see him come back. He is. I am so. I don't know where they're. What what's gonna happen with him? He's stuck in this office job. He clearly is gonna get like. He's he's gonna snap, and I just don't know which way he's gonna snap. And I'm so excited to see. I'm also curious if all of this data farming, data work that our people in the ISB are doing might somehow come across his desk oh. because he he seems to be doing some kind of processing of data. I don't know exactly what it is, but and I should probably watch the episode again to more closely pay attention to what his job is going to be. It, his, his uncle. Wait, that was his uncle, right? No, or, no. His that, uncle got him the job. Right. He he was like, well, make sure your record is clean. Your uncle wouldn't want that or whatever. But I, he mentioned something so forgettable and boring about what his job was that it was just like, it's something that isn't important or big or it's like shipping and receiving or something. But soul crushing data entry is also the kind of thing that the Empire stands on. That's Very the true. work that is crucial to their form of oppression the red tape the bureaucracy of having thousands of drone workers in that great like big cubicle shot there at the very end of the episode 
showing you how even the people that work for the Empire are inherently oppressed. Oh, man, that's why I think he might go either way on the on the whole rebellion side of things, you know? I'm, I'm very excited. I think the only thing we have to look forward to is the prison break that we're going to get at some point oh, with yeah, Cassian's six-year Cassian prison game. sentence. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's going to be something there. I, I'm excited. Maybe, I mean, that we got some Imperial prison droids walking around. Always love them. Maybe there's going to be something with that there. But I don't know. We, we've got a lot of mystery. Everybody's kind of set up in a place that I do not know where the next episode is going, but I, I'm hoping Prison Break. I'm also hoping Prison Break, but if there's one thing that I've learned from this show, it's that I don't necessarily want what I expect to come next from this show, because every time it surprises me, it's always a way better episode than I could have imagined. Honestly, very very true. Uh, me even expecting a Prison Break probably means that we're going to get something way more unique and strange coming up this week. I mean, Luthen and th that whole crew, they want Cassian dead, so... Oh, that is true. Oh, there it is. The, it's going to be an assassination attempt where he'll be able to escape, maybe. We'll see. Who knows? We'll certainly find out soon enough. But let's move it on over to Save the Rec Center. Let's do it. Save the Rec Center! Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, hit me. This last weekend, I had the pleasure of seeing Smile in the theaters, and it was really good, man. I, I honestly, I was not expecting it to be as good as it was, but it was an incredibly effective horror movie. It's not super over-explained. The cast was fantastic. The scare factor is genuinely very high. I, I'm not usually super scared at horror movies. I'm, I'm a big appreciator of the craft, so I'm not always super caught off guard, but it's a scary flick, man. I, I definitely recommend it for the Halloween season. If you can still catch it in the limited release that it has in theaters right now, I think it's definitely worth it. I It, it was plussed up because I had a great audience who was just absolutely freaking out the whole time, too, and... That's definitely why I recommend a theater viewing. It's it's solid. I they have me hooked. If they ever decide to want make another one of any capacity in this in this style or in, the, in this lore, I I really really appreciated it, and it, it had a lot of surprising factors. That even as I say that I'm a appreciator of horror and I'm a scholar of horror, I've read up on it extensively and I know a lot about it. It is. Very surprising. It's got a lot of great twists and turns, and I, I think you should check it out if you can, Garrett, specifically before it leaves theaters. I keep seeing reviews that are saying what you're saying, even though that marketing looks so uninteresting to me. So I, I You didn't like the lie the the people standing in crowds oh, or whatever. Cool. That was I meant fun. more like the trailers. No, that, I guess. That, and no, again, the maybe marketing's that's... really cool. Maybe the trailers being a little lackluster is what let me enjoy this movie so much, but I will also say that the marketing really keeps it close to the vest in terms of only showing you, like, the very first part of this movie in most of that trailer. Like, it it, it kind of does the, the big blockbuster thing, or the, the Marvel thing, where they show you, like, one scene, you know, ten different angles of one scene as the trailer, and then you get there, and it's way more than you expected. I, I, I appreciated that. Well, I, it's a it's a shame to say that my Paramount Plus is dried up. So ah, sad. I will not be seeing that when it comes to streaming, probably. So maybe I will venture out to the theater and not be such a scared little boy. It's it's a great group watch for Halloween season. I'll say get get a group go. I'll I'll even probably see it again. I I would definitely see it again. But what do you have to save the rec center this week? 
Well, inspired by a couple of different things. One, the fact that Henry Cavill's coming back as Superman has me really reflecting on what I want out of a Superman tonally and from, you know, a story perspective. And seeing Black Adam be so viscerally different from other superhero movies of late or any superhero movies ever has also got me thinking about when superhero movies were kind of in their infancy and there were very there were very there were very different expectations about what a movie would be and what it would contain and what kind of action and storylines it would contain which is why I am actually rec-centering the original Richard Donner Christopher Reeve starring Superman from 1978. Right on. That is a movie I have only seen very few snippets of. I've never seen it all the way through, but I, I've always wanted to. Well, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I really have been thinking about it a lot in the last few days, and it's really made me want to revisit it, and it's such an iconic film with such interesting iconography, even if it is a little dated. I think it simultaneously is such a trendsetter for what's to come, but also is so of its time that it's really charming. And I think the pure wonder of, you know, you'll believe a man can fly, and that's the selling point, is you'll believe a man can fly. It's before we could do anything on screen, and so the small wonders of superherodom are really protected and celebrated in the Donner films, and I think that Superman is just such a moving example of what makes superhero movies special and what makes the character of Superman special. Yeah, that is a a moment of pure, untainted superhero cinema that I would be very fascinated to, to take a dip into. Well, that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to tell us how wrong we were about Black Adam, either that it was better than we said it was or that it was a useless piece of crap, you know, either way, good with us. Tell us by reaching out to us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Find us and email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Any kind of platform engagement that you can give us really helps the show out, whether that's leaving a comment, subscribing, giving a like, hitting that bell icon, joining the notification squad, all that good stuff. (laughs) Next week, we will be covering, as of right now, still figuring out some scheduling things, The High Republic Fallen Star, which is the last adult mainline novel in the overarching phase one of Star Wars The High Republic. Phase two is kicking off right now, so we're kind of catching up before this new prequel to this phase one of the high republic starts off we should be having our good friend of the show rocky kari on for that so we'll keep you updated on what the trajectory is of that episode very excited to talk about that book seamus i know you're still finishing it up oh it's it's great so far and i'm really excited to to talk about this first phase with you all together That'll be a very Star Wars-heavy episode between that and Star Wars, and it's our last episode of October, so maybe we should try to sneak in something spooky in there. Yeah, yeah. We we can talk, you know. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to it, Seamus. We're going to have a great time next week. The power hierarchy of the Adios Amigos has changed.